God, we thank you for your generosity and your kindness to our country. And God, thank you that you've been so merciful and gracious. You've been forgiving and patient. And God, we pray for this land that we love and the people that we love. We pray, God, that we would return to you. And for such a time as this, God, there'd be awakening spiritually. And again, thank you for all those who have served and are serving our country, the freedoms we have. God, we wanna never stop praying and praising you and worshiping you in this country. And we pray for your best. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We have just been celebrating because there was an amazing week here, main event. How many people were here for main event in some capacity? Incredible team of volunteers, hundreds of kids, and special thanks to Jackie, our kids director, her leadership, uh, the team, the whole staff team. I mean, all, they were middle school students, like starting out summer, waking up early, coming here to serve high school students, families serving together. We saw families three generations, grandparents serving here this weekend. It just felt like this is our church family. It's the body of Christ and God moved in amazing ways as kids from the community came and experienced God many for the first time as well. So we celebrate that. Also, uh, we celebrate, we had our church vote and uh, yes to the budget this year. Uh, Also, yes, strong yes to budget and all the elders that were nominated. So moving forward by faith together. Also, want to share an update. This is from the family meeting and just some uh, finances with that. We have two more months in our fiscal year, July and August. Currently, we're 50K under anticipated giving for our budget, and that's our general fund. So there's an opportunity. But here's the overall picture. Giving is much greater this year than last year. Giving has really increased. And uh, part of that is a lot of generosity towards there are designated funds like Good Samaritan, camp scholarships, missions trips. There's also, in addition to that, invest in tomorrow projects. And you can find all of this. It's on the board, laid out clearly as you come into the worship center. We're very transparent. The invest in tomorrow projects, we are almost finished. This is the second floor, as you uh, see on the west side of the building. And it's updating It's bringing carpet and paint and some other things for our students because our student ministry is growing so much, they need a breakout space. So we had to quickly get those rooms up to speed and invest in tomorrow has made that difference. And so all that we celebrate, the generosity continues in our church and also let's finish strong with the general budget. Don't forget the general budget as we finish this fiscal year too. So God's provision and we're very grateful. Also, uh, we have two of our international partners. They were here yesterday, and they're here today. So the Latvillas are here, Ashley and Jamin. Gal, you go ahead and stand up. Go ahead and stand up. Remain standing. And also, um, Don, Don and Beth. Don and Beth, can you stand up as well? Don and Beth right here. And uh, just so you can also connect the ministries with the people, the Latvillas are with crew. They're in Florida, but their ministry is digital. And just as we have international partners who are digital missionaries, I want to point out all of us are digital missionaries. And the platform God's given you, whether it's texting people, social media, website sharing links, so we're grateful for their ministry. And Don and Beth, their ministry is with refugees. They spent many years overseas, and then God brought them back to America. And if you haven't noticed, more and more people coming 
escaping terrible situations in other nations to come here. And all of us can love people who are coming from other nations and welcome them and love them. So we're grateful for your ministry and we also want to continue to pray for you, support you, and then be active as we serve as well. We have over 40 international partners. Over half are raised up from our church. Like I say, we're ascending church and it's great to have both of you back and all that you brought on your returning visit as well. Okay, we are in Psalm 33. You can open up your Bibles, find it on your phones. We love to dive into God's word. The Psalms They are songs, they are prayers, deep calling out to deep. If you're stuck in prayer lately, maybe it's been a struggle for you to pray and know what to pray, open up the Psalms and just start to pray these. Pray these words also, these prayers, and it's a language to God, communication with God. It's the longest book in the Bible, so it's the easiest to find. Table of contents is helpful too. Psalm 33, the message today is to enter in, enter in, enter in. Enter in. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for our nation. Thank you for your provision. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you how you communicate with us. Our ears are open today, God. Our minds, our hearts, our souls. We thank you that you bring nourishment beyond food. God, we are hungry for your presence. We're hungry to grow in our faith. We don't want to stay in the status quo or plateau in any way, God. We want to move forward, and we pray that we would enter in together. In Jesus' name, amen. Worship is both personal and it's national. Psalm 33 is both personal and it's national. Worship is a choice. You can develop and learn and grow in worship. Worship is something you can desire, taste and see that the Lord is good, and the more you have of God's presence, the more you want of God's presence. Worship is habitual. It is a habit. You have habits every week. Some are very uplifting. Some are destructive. And you choose your habits. Worship is habitual. And the picture of worship, see, a lot of people think, yes, I'm going to thank God when things are going well. And you can worship God and be thankful for the blessings. And a lot of people think, well, worship, yes, I'm thinking Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings is a great time to worship, but Sunday mornings is not an exhaustive picture of worship. Your Sunday morning experience of worshiping God, for some people in this room, that's the whole worship for the week. For other people in this room, Sunday mornings is a sliver. It's a sliver. The encouragement from the Bible is that Sunday mornings is always just a sliver of your worship. Like this is one 50th of your worship during the week. Like worship is daily. Monday morning's a great time to worship. Wednesday night is a great time to worship. You know the beauty of worshiping at home is you can pick the songs and the volume and you can pick the silence, the pace. Like you pick everything all week long and then we join together to worship as a family as well here. Worship is a habit. You've got some go-tos. All of us get handed stuff by life that we don't want. Massive trials. And all of us have go-tos. Where do you go to when life brings that junk? Where do you go to? And I'm encouraging you today to make worship a go-to. Just like when you hit my knee, that's gonna move forward. My foot's gonna move forward. When life hits you with something, your go-to, your response, I'm going to worship. I'm going to praise. I'm gonna start thanking God. I'm gonna seek God. That's where I'm going to go. And that's the heartbeat of Psalm 33, enter in. What are you cultivating with worship? To cultivate is to intentionally enter in. A lot of people want to check out. No, enter in, your go-to. 
Let's take a look at Psalm 33, starting in verse one. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the 10-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The exhortation as we start is to enter into worship, enter into God's unfailing love, enter into God's word, reverence, and enter into God's purposes. It's kind of like a menu, right? What are you gonna enter into this week? You're gonna enter into a lot of things. What's on the menu this week that you really wanna enter into? And this psalmist is laying it out. What about worship? What about God's word? What about God's purposes? What about entering into these very good things? You have these on the menu, now enter in. And the first one is worship. The psalmist starts with worship. Let the worshipers arise. And that is not a call just to people who are on staff at a church who lead worship. Let God's people worship God in spirit and in truth. If it's not in truth, it's not worship. If it's a bunch of false gods and idols, that's not worship. It's gotta be in truth and then with the right spirit. Not a spirit of pride or complaining or despair or selfishness or fear, but with a wholehearted love, gratitude, in response to God's goodness and who he is. We wanna worship God in spirit and in truth. God is looking for worshipers. Now, how does this worship, how is it described in Psalm 33? It's important to know, what does the Bible say about worship? So many people are gonna talk about worship, but what is God saying about worship? Well, we see here, worship with joy. There is joy in the presence of the Lord. You might start worship with a little bit of joy, and then you know, when you get into God's presence, joy increases. A fruit of the Spirit is joy. And when you have the Holy Spirit in you and you're surrendered to the Holy Spirit, there's gonna be more joy in your life. When you worship God and you're experiencing his presence, joy is gonna increase. Here the description is there's shouts of joy. There's an exuberant joy. There's a vibrant joy. And this joy in worship is something that God wants us to enjoy, enjoy his presence. Now, I've heard a lot of people say, we need less joy. We need less celebration in worship. Less celebration, less joy. But when I read the scripture, I don't see God say, less celebration, less joy. I see God say, bring joy, even shouts of joy in the presence of the Lord. Well, what else? We read about instruments, the harp and the lyre. Does that mean that we have to have a harp every Sunday? No, it doesn't. Let's not get legalistic about harps in this church. Uh, it's a description, not a mandate. But the point is, there's instruments. I've had conversations with people who love Jesus and love God's word, and they're very insistent that you can't have instruments in worship. Instruments are ungodly. They're worldly. Well, again, how do you decide about worship? 
if your decisions about worship come from God's word, and that's why I encourage you, if you go to God's word, you're going to see God listing instruments in worship, instruments giving him praise. And then what else do we see with people who are playing instruments with skill, with dedication? It can be a little distracting if the instruments are off key, right? It can be a little distracting. Like, wait, what's going on there? I think they missed that one. Now, it doesn't mean perfect, but it means that there's excellence. There's training. There's skill. There's dedication. You're doing it unto the Lord. The same if you're a greeter. You're doing it unto the Lord. You're greeting people with love. It's their first impression of the church. If you serve the kids downstairs, you're doing it with excellence. You're doing it unto the Lord. You don't miss your shift and say, yeah, I'm just sleeping in today. Oh, we'll just deal with it. No, you're showing up because you signed up and you're giving it everything. You serve it unto the Lord. The same with the musicians. They dedicate. They practice. You know that our worship team probably puts in more hours to get ready for a Sunday than a lot of other roles at church. It's a lot of work for them to to practice their instrument and the craft and have rehearsals and do all that. It's a lot of dedication. That's what the Lord wants. He wants dedication, skill. And then also there's new songs. Over and over in the scripture, what do we read in the Psalms? New songs, new songs, new songs. Psalm after Psalm, it's new songs, new songs. You get to the end of the Bible, Revelation, you know what you read about? New songs, new songs, new songs. It's almost as if God is so great that there just aren't even enough songs to ever describe his greatness. And if you just have one little book of songs and your song collection is 20 songs, you're going to miss out on some of the greatness of God because the old hymns describe his greatness and songs today describe his greatness. There's going to be new songs in heaven we won't even sing on earth. They're singing songs on the other side of the world that I don't even know. But all these songs come together to give God praise. And God says, more new songs, more new songs, more new songs. Because we're just trying to sing and play instruments and in our hearts just write more songs to the greatness of God because he inspires us so much. See, this is a biblical picture and worship is public. No one says, well, I only worship God when no one's looking. No, this is public praise. You give, you give praise to God and it's with passion. So again, when it comes to worship, start with God, start with his word. Don't make worship man-centered or opinion-centered. Come back to what is the Bible? So what does God actually want? In spirit and truth, we come to him humbly and we give him public, passionate praise. And there's instruments. Why do we do this? It's because of who God is. Worship starts with God's character, his presence. He's holy. He's all-powerful. He's self-existent. He always existed. This this universe and world doesn't center around me and you. God is at the center. God is at the throne. He overcame death. He is holy. He is merciful. He is eternal. The more you know who God is, the more you know he's worthy of worship. And you start to think about Abraham and creation. You start to think about parting the Red Sea. You start to think about the promised land, the promises he keeps. You think about the empty grave. Jesus overcame death. You think we're going to spend eternity with him. You start to think about what God has done. He is doing. He will do. The devil's in the lake of fire. I just want to praise him. That's how it ends. And his word, he's faithful. This word is eternal. He communicates to us. He keeps his promises, his unfailing love, his indestructible hope. It all leads. The more you know God, the more you want to praise God. You don't know much about God. You might not want to praise God that much. I didn't grow up knowing about God. I had no desire to praise him. 
And then I started to discover who God is and who Jesus is. And it just started this new song in my life that's deep down. And it's a song that we never want to stop singing and praising him. That's what you're made to do. Whether you like it or not, you are made to praise God for eternity. For eternity. That's in your DNA. So get a fresh view of God. And then that leads you to praise, daily praise, appreciation, expression. It's both and. It's both and. It's eternal, it's personal, it's daily. Praising God. First Chronicles 25.1 says this, And David, together with the commanders of the army, set apart some of the sons of Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun for the ministry of prophesying, accompanied by harps, lyres, and cymbals. Here's a list of the men who performed this service. What's interesting is that David, you know, he leads an army, and there's military battles, and David's also intentional to make sure that worship is continuing and the nation is seeking God. There are physical battles, and then he knows there's spiritual battles. This week, you're gonna face a lot in the physical realm. You're gonna see things, and things are gonna happen to you that you're gonna be able to describe that are tangible, but there's also an visible realm this week. It's a spiritual realm. It's good and evil. And your prayers and your praise make a difference in that space. Israel learned this. They understood this, that when they're attacked, and they often were, there were nations that wanted to wipe them out. Nothing's changed. There are many nations that want to wipe Israel out today. And they understood that this is far more. Yes, they have a military today that's strong, but they understand it's far more than that. Now, I'm not saying Israel today is right where they should be spiritually. I'm not saying that. But in David's day, David was the leader and the king who understood, even though he made a lot of mistakes, we both need to be ready militarily and we need to be spiritually seeking God. We need God's help in this way. So setting up both. There were warriors and there was worship happening. There's a prioritization of God's presence. And God's presence made a difference in protecting the country then. God's presence makes a difference with protection today. God's greatest gift to you is his presence. His greatest gift to your family is his presence. It's not your house or your business. It's not your car. That's not his greatest gift to you. His greatest gift to your family is his presence. His greatest gift to our church is his presence. It's not all the square footage that we have. It's not the building or the location, though we're very grateful. It's not the chairs you sit in. The greatest gift God has ever given to this church is his presence. And the same for our nation. The greatest gift America can ever have from God is his presence. We don't want to say leave this region. We don't want to forsake God. We want to welcome his presence. David understood that. You know, enter in. Enter into worship because worship is a gateway in your life spiritually. The more you worship and draw near to God, the more you're going to experience his love. The more you're going to bow down in reverence because when you really get close to a holy God, you, you bow down. The more you're going to embrace his purpose, the more you're going to tackle injustice, the more courage you're going to have. See, all these things, they come out of a life of worship, of abiding with Jesus 24-7. And you say, well, what does that look like? I kind of have a picture of David, you know, it's kind of older. What about today? So I'm going to give you an example of entering in today. It's the Oklahoma Sooners women's softball team. Now, I'm not anticipating that there's a lot of fans in the room of, of Sooner softball but there might be after this. Uh, they just won their third straight national championship. You gotta respect a three-peat. That's never easy to do in sports. Their record this year is 61 and one. 
That's a pretty good record, huh? 61 and one. They won 53 straight games. That's a pretty good win streak. You know what their cry of their team was, their anthem, their motto this year? Eyes up. Two words, eyes up. Whatever we're going through, we lift our eyes up to Jesus. Hey, get your eyes up. Are you focusing on your problems? You got your eyes down? Like lift your eyes up, eyes up to Jesus. That was their cry all season long, eyes up. Now it's testimony time and we didn't have the budget to fly them in, so I'm gonna read some quotes. (laughs) But, But we just gotta camp here for a minute. Listen, this is their coach, Patty. And she admits when she showed up at the program, she was over-focused on winning. Anyone here ever been over-focused on winning in sports, family games, right? Let's just confess all the sin today. She said she forgot the ultimate purpose of why she was the coach. The Lord kind of woke me up and said, you're doing this wrong. Has God ever come alongside you and said, you're doing this wrong? You're doing this wrong. So she was listening to God, and she said, God said something like this, you're not here to win games. Although that's what the athletic department says, that's what your job description says. You're not here to win games, you're here to open the door, you're here to win souls. That's why you're here. You are not at your job just to do your job, although that's important. You're there. Imagine if everyone heard and caught this heavenly vision. You're there for souls. That's why you're there. God's speaking to her heart. You open the door and let them in. I'll take over from there. And she said, everything changed at that day, at that moment. She repented of over-focusing on winning and the culture changed in the whole program. Well, their star pitcher, Jody Ball, says this. We stuck together through pressure, adversity, and have ultimately been one strong, cohesive unit. We have given the glory to the Lord We play free, we play together, and we find joy in the things outside of the playing field. Like they worship God, they thank God, they have fun playing, they realize it's just a sport, and then outside of the sport, they have fun together, whether they're going to eat or going on trips and having a good time, one strong, cohesive unit. That's the key for a family. How do you have a strong, cohesive family? You worship the Lord together, you enjoy each other, you have things in the right perspective, and you love each other. It's a picture, it's the same for a church. Well, then Alyssa Brito says this, we love each other and our love for the game because we know this game is giving us the opportunity to glorify God. We figured out our purpose and everyone on the team was all in. Everyone on the team, what's our purpose? To glorify God. What's softball? Softball's a sport we enjoy and it's just there because it's a platform that we can glorify God. What again, if you had that mindset and heavenly perspective that your, whatever your career field is, whether you're in facilities, educator, whether you're in food industry, uh, government, that your job is just a platform that people can see Jesus in you and you can talk about life through that platform. That's what's happened across the country through this team. Grace Lyons, one other testimony, she said, my prayer when I started college, we just prayed for a lot of high school students. Some of them are gonna be starting college in the fall and their hearts for Jesus. Well, her heart as she started college, my prayer when I started college is that I would be a vessel that the Lord would use in his kingdom to bring others to know him. 
starting your four years in college saying, God, I wanna be your vessel to lead other students to Jesus. See, I, I was a student in college not that long ago, but a long time ago, and, and I had no clue about Jesus, but there was a freshman named Mike that this was his prayer, that he could lead some people to Jesus, and he was an introvert and shy, but he let God use him, and he shared the gospel with me, and my life has changed for eternity. You see, that was her prayer, Grace, as she started college, and she says, as I leave college softball, I pray others know that Jesus can use you in mighty ways. You just need to be willing and obedient. God will use anyone in this room who is just willing and obedient, who reads the Great Commission and says, I'll do it, God, whatever that looks like. Work through me. I can't do it alone, but I'll do it, God. Please help me to do it right here. God will use anyone in this room, and he won't use if you're not, if you're not willing. You can just be all about you, saved, going to heaven, and just all about you the whole ride. You can go that route too. And these are college students that just see scripture, see God, like I know which way my life is gonna go, and God blessed them. They entered in in worship. They entered in in the word, in purpose. They entered in in God's goodness. When you get a taste, you just want more. This is another way to say it. Move from concept to opportunity to experiences with God. I created this diagram. I don't have complex diagrams, but this one I think will lay it out. My goal is to lay it out real plain. Concept, opportunity, experiences. The team we just prayed for up here, it's a concept to go on a mission trip. There's a lot of mission trips in the Bible. There's been a lot of mission trips in Grace Community Church. It's a concept. Oh yeah, we could go on a mission trip. But what happened? This summer, there's an opportunity and they've stepped up and they said yes to an opportunity to now go on a missions trip, not just have a concept of a missions trip. You know what's gonna happen next as they go and they've already met with God through all their training. God is doing a great work in their lives and this is before they even leave. When they go, they're gonna experience God in deep ways. God is gonna change lives. It's gonna change their lives going forward. It goes from a concept to an opportunity to experiences. Let me give you another example. Uh, praying with your family members say, that's a great concept. I see that in the Bible. Pray at home during the week with family. Okay, great concept. A lot of people say, oh, I agree. That's a good concept. Well, you've got opportunities all week long to pray together. Okay, is it just a concept? Or now are you gonna move forward? And now you're gonna experience God's presence in your home through prayer as you seek him together as a family. You see the steps. What about the next generation? So many people are saying, I can't believe what's happening with America. Have you seen the statistics? The youngest generation. Wow, there seems to be less faith than ever before in our nation. And people are rattling that off all the time. But here's the concept. God says, serve, connect, love, build relationships. You have so many opportunities. You have hundreds of opportunities right here in this church. Hundreds, every person has hundreds. You have opportunities in your neighborhood. You have opportunities in your family. To what? Build relationships, love them, learn from them, mentor them, pass along your faith. Now it's experiences. You see, it goes from a concept to an opportunity to experiences. You say, invite someone to church. Yeah, I see it in the Bible. I've heard it's a good thing. I know some people's lives have changed. I'm not against the concept. Well, what about opportunities? Where you live, work, learn, play, friends, relatives, acquaintances, neighbors, coworkers, you've got so many opportunities. When you invite someone to church and they come 
And then they experience God, and now they want to get connected. Now they're in a Bible study. Now they're growing in their faith. Now they're coming alive. Now their marriage is getting restored. You're just like, wow, look what God did. And it goes from a concept to an experience. The word of God, again, uh, it's so easy to just stay on concept. Well, as a concept, yeah, the word of God builds you up spiritually. But you have an opportunity to memorize God's word. You have an opportunity to meditate and think on God's word. Listen to God's word. It'll build up your soul. And you have that opportunity every day. You don't have resources. You have apps. You have hard copies of Bibles. There's Bibles. There's so much there. And when you experience God in the word, here's the difference. Now you're tempted during the week. And just like Jesus, when you're tempted, you quote the scripture and you walk away from that temptation. You've been going back to that same sin over and over again. You haven't used the word. But this time, this week, you're going to use the word. You're going to walk away. You're going to experience freedom. Now the word of God, it's moving in your life. And you can say, that was the scripture I used to break out of that sin trap. It's either just a concept that you read Matthew 4, like, yeah, I guess Jesus used the scripture, got the principles. We've been stuck on principles for too long. Principles are important. Knowledge is the start. God renews the mind. It's not the end. You see, information's good, but transformation happens when we step into the opportunities, we enter in, and we meet God there, we rely on God and experience God there. That's what the Christian life is all about. We, can we embrace a full picture of discipleship this morning? That somewhere along the line, we just thought, you know what, if I get a 99 out of 100 on the concept test, I'm so spiritually mature. <laughs> Do you see the junk in that? If you got 99 out of 100, that's a great start. That's a great start. Celebrate that. But that's not spiritual maturity. To get 99 out of 100 on the Bible quiz, that's not spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity doesn't happen until you step into opportunities and you live out your faith, you exercise your faith, and you see the power and glory of God in your life. That's spiritual maturity. It's a big difference. It's a big gap. So empowering. Again, empowering. A lot of people today are just checking out. Well, America's, it's not where I think our nation should be. I'm gonna check out. Well, this church, I'm checking out. Well, things in our family are getting bumpy. I'm checking out. Listen, there's a lot of stuff in life that's getting harder. For some in this room, maybe you got a report from the doctor. For some, maybe it's aging, right? For some, financially, things are so tough right now. Like, we're all facing stuff and we either give up, leave, kind of check out, or enter in, enter in. And what this psalmist, and I believe it's God's heart, is to say, when things get difficult, personally and nationally, don't just check out. Instead, enter in. That's the time where you worship. That's the time where you pray. That's the time where you get into God's word. That's the time where you serve. You don't shrink back, you enter in. Your refreshment comes when you enter in. Not when you just have concepts. Your refreshment comes when you enter in. And it's a time of refreshment. It's personal. It's also national. Look at Psalm 33, starting in verse 10. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches. All who live on the earth, he who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. For no king is saved by the size of his army, 
No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. Here's the truth. The nation that has a hard heart towards God and stops entering in will go down. When a nation stops entering in, that nation will go down. Now, what does a hard heart look like? A hard heart pushes God away, less of God, less of his presence. Jesus, leave the region. And what happens next? There's a rejection of God's word. Because when you reject God, you're also gonna reject the word. The two are together. And then there's less reverence. And instead of honoring God or there being absolute truth, instead of that, everyone just does what they want. And as everyone does what they want, they try to redefine what God has brought in terms of truth and order. Sin increases in the land. Now sin, it doesn't just go from a little bit of hidden sin, but now it's obvious, it's evident. The culture starts to call wrong, right, and right, wrong. Light, dark, dark, light. The culture tries to flip it, and pretty soon sin becomes normal. Sin becomes celebrated, and there's parades of sin in the land. People boast about their sin, and there's less love, and hearts grow cold. That's not new. If you look at every nation, look at the Israelites and you study the Israelites and their national history, that's the story in the Bible over and over again. There's a downward spiral. There's a free fall. David wrote in about a thousand years before Christ, David as a leader was seeking God. The 12 tribes were united. This is when you do the autopsy on empires and nations that fell. When you look at the Israelites, because you know what happened at 1,000 years before Christ, they're united, but at 722, the Assyrians came into the north. At that point, they divided. There were 10 tribes in the north, two in the south. Assyria took out the 10. And then 586, Babylon came in and the two tribes in the south, and they went to exile. And they're probably thinking, how do we go from united and worshiping God to now we're in exile? What just happened to our country? In a little bit of a stupor. Well, this is what happened. First, There's a drifting from God. People wander from God far more than they realize. They think they're close with God, but everyone else can kind of see, like, you've drifted, you drifted. Nations drift. When you drift from God, you will find an idol. If God's not on the throne of your life, you will replace God with either yourself, your job, your career, your hobby, your money, or another person. And you'll do the old switcheroo. Okay, God comes down and this one goes up. When there's idolatry, it'll lead to division. Idolatry, when it happened to the Israelites, now they have division. Ten in the north, two in the south. Uh, This is true also on the family level unit. When you ignore God in your own walk as a family and you drift from God, now there's idolatry. You'll put person or something up there. Now there'll be more division in your family. Now there'll be a downward spiral morally in the nation or in the family. The same is true in denominations. Denominations that used to be strong, no longer strong. Why? They move God and God's word out of the way and then they start to compromise. They bring their intellect. They bring their committee together and they say, this is the new truth, not God's word. And they just spiral down and then the morality starts to go. This is the autopsy over and over again. Deterioration of a nation, a family, a denomination, a church family. This is what happens. That's why it's so important we always worship God, seek him first at our church and honor scripture. It protects us from this downward spiral. And as Americans, it's so important we trust God and turn to God for the health of our nation. 
I don't want you to feel like you're passive and you just watch where a nation goes. No, for such a time as this, God has called you to have a role so that there wouldn't be a deterioration of a nation. This, I'm giving examples here of different countries. When you think of Pharaoh and the slavery, God's against slavery. God was against slavery when it happened to America. Uh, but in Pharaoh's instance, this was in Egypt, what did Pharaoh do? He did one of these, like, oh, no, you don't, God. These people aren't going to worship you. And with a hard-hearted and hard-fisted, he said, let's go, God. It's on. And there were 10 plagues, 10 rounds. Has anyone ever, like, done this to God in one? <laughs> Has anyone ever said, all right, God, mm, in one? <laughs> Pharaoh, that's not a good move. No one is ever gonna win against God with a hard heart and a hard fist to try and overpower God. It's not gonna happen. Well, what about Goliath? He showed up in all his bravado and machismo and pride, and he thought he was bigger than everyone else, he's badder than everyone else, and he'll defy the living God. Well, God said, well, this is easy. I'll just grab a shepherd boy with a one rock. We'll take this one down. Uh, that, 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 that's just not hard right there. The Amalekites are like, yeah, finally we'll wipe out the Israelites. And Joshua puts up a battle, and Moses just lifts his hands and says, God, the battle's yours. The battle belongs to yours. And it's kind of hard for me to pray so, and just keep praying. So Aaron and her, can you hold my hands up, and let's just keep praying together because you know we're going to pray to God and God's going to win the battle. And, and you look throughout scripture and you look Babylon. You, you know what happens? Nebuchadnezzar says, look at this great Babylon that I have built. Can I give you some advice? Don't ever take the posture of saying, look at this great business that I have built. Look at this great home that I have built. Look at the spiritual resume and the things I have done. Don't ever take that posture as Americans are like, look at our great nation. We're better than anyone else because we built this nation. No, don't, don't mess with God. He won't be mocked. And whoever has pride, he will humble. But he will always give grace to the humble. And he will always strongly support those who are fully his. Be intentional to give God the glory. Give God the praise. say, well, well, those were Bible days. Well, Napoleon had an army, and he was known to say, God is on the side of the greatest battalion. In his pride, he just said, well, we know who God chooses. God chooses the nation that has the greatest battalion. In other words, we've got such a strong military, it doesn't really matter about God. We're going to win this anyways. Well, then what happened in 1815? He lost the Battle of Waterloo, and the French domination of Europe was over. You see, God will step in North Korea right now. Let's get real current. What's happening? There are so many nations where we don't have this freedom that we have in this room. And in North Korea, we need to pray for what's happening in these different nations. Christians caught with a Bible in North Korea have faced death and had their families, including their children, thrown in prison for life. Can you imagine having your kids killed or thrown in prison for the rest of their life because they're a Christian, just living out their faith? Well, and this is from Business Insider, just read it. Uh, North Korea has imprisoned tens of thousands of Christians, according to a State Department report citing NGO research. The recent report reveals executions and imprisonment for life for people caught with religious materials, like Bibles, many of whom are starving now and living in abject poverty. Tens of thousands of Christians are said to be languishing in prisons. I read a book, Eyes of the Tailless Animals, and it opened up my eyes to the conditions in North Korea. We need to be praying for this nation. 
A recently released Department of State report notes that while North Korea constitutionally allows for religious freedom, there is no such thing in practice. The report from the State Department's Office of International Religious Freedom citing research conducted by a non-governmental organizations which have gathered testimony from defectors, say as many as 70,000 Christians have been imprisoned in camps. In one NGO, Open Doors USA has reported that Christians in North Korea, life is a constant cauldron of pressure for capture or death is only one mistake away. You know, when we think about the United Nations, there's noble intentions. We want to see peace in the world. And they have a statue, and it goes back to Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. There's a statue at the United Nations, and here's the verse. He will judge between the nations and settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And the statue has a sword, and it's turning into a plowshare. A sword was a picture of warfare and killing, but the plowshare is for building people up and providing. The United Nations, again, noble intentions for world peace, But I want to make it very clear, no amount of committees or human effort or money will bring about the peace that the United Nations describes. And it won't happen if you push God out of the way. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for peace in the Middle East. Absolutely do what you can to promote peace. At the same time, we know from Scripture, there will not be peace in the Middle East until Jesus Christ returns. Let me shift to America. America needs a turnaround right now. I encourage you to study the books of Kings and Chronicles. It's the history of the Israelites, and it'll say so much about our nation and where we're at today. This is how God moves, then and now. God has a remnant, and there'll be a remnant of people in our nation He who has ears to hear, she who has ears to hear, let them hear. And their ears will be open and their hearts will be fervent for God. There'll be a remnant that doesn't drift or wander from God, but listens to God and their hearts are for God. And that remnant will start to repent. This is the pattern you see in scripture. There'll be a remnant listening to God that'll get on their knees and say, God, have mercy on me. God, forgive me. God, I turn from sin. I repent. God, have mercy. Forgive our land. We cry out for your mercy. We cry out for your grace. God, we need your healing in the land. We can't do this. No politician, no military can do it. God, we need your help, oh God. And he was fervently crying out to God. That's when things change in a land. That's the way things change. That's the way a land is. Healing is to get down and pray. And then out of that, God will raise people up. He will raise up people who are going to love their neighbors. He will raise people up who are courageous. He will raise you up with a prophetic voice. You're hearing this more and more as our nation is drifting. People are speaking prophetically in love saying this isn't right. This violates God. This is against God. And with courage, they're speaking up. With courage, God will have you speak up in different conversations. And God will raise up vibrant churches. The vibrant ones are going to be the ones that seek his presence and honor his word. 
Those will always be the vibrant churches in the land, the one who seek God's presence, honor his word, and love each other. And those churches are gonna be vibrant and many will fade. Those vibrant churches will come alive. That evangelism will come alive. There will be soul winning. There will be a harvest. You will drop the nets and you will see people return to God and come to know God. You can live this out. You don't have to give up or be passive. This is how God moves. There's revival that leads to reformation. God has done it in our land several times for such a time as this. That's what we need. And with hearts of gratitude because of God's unfailing love, his unwavering promise, his indestructible hope, with hearts of gratitude, we will give all the glory to God. Whatever good thing happens at Grace Community Church, can we all commit to give all the glory to God? All the glory to God. Well, let's conclude the psalm. And this is where it's just a connection. Receive this word. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. You can enter in before you have what you want. I bet today as you're sitting here, there's a lot of things you want that you don't have yet, and that's difficult. And I wanna encourage you to enter in even before you have what you want. When I was in my 20s, I was fighting for my life for one year and took 10 years to fully recover, 10 years. And I realized I can't hit fast forward. I need to learn how to enter in before my full recovery ever comes. And what you can enter in today is into worship. You can enter in to gratitude. You can enter in to his word. You can enter into reverence. You can enter into God's purpose. Well, what does that look like? It means you trust God. It means you're teachable. It means you say, God, do it your way and I'll follow. It means that you declare some things. God, I'm declaring in praise that you are holy, that you are good, that you are just, that you are powerful. You start to declare that. You start to declare, God, you are my shield, my strength, and my song. You start to trust God. You start to move by faith. You exercise your faith and you enter in. It's not just sit back in concept time. That's not gonna get it done. It's not gonna get it done. Concepts and principles will not alone get it done today. Instead, it's gonna be entering in. What culture do you want for your family in your home? What culture do we want at Grace Community Church? How does God wanna change the culture of this nation? It's gonna be people with courage who enter in. The call of this, this psalm right here, is to enter in. Personally and nationally, let's enter in. Your refreshment comes when you enter in. A lot of people are checking out these days. Less sociable, less relationships, less hope, less words. I'm I'm just gonna retreat, I'm quitting, I'm giving up, despair. A lot of people checking out. God wants to bring mental health. God wants to bring restoration of marriages. God wants to bring hope. God wants to bring strength. But it happens when you enter in. There's no replacement for entering in. No one else can enter in for you. This is your worship. This is my worship. This is why we enter in. Let's pray. God, we enter in today. We hear your voice. We lift up our country and pray for healing. But we know it starts with us. So personally, God, in our hearts, we wanna enter in. Forgive us for stubborn sin. Forgive us for just undermining your truth. 
Forgive us for being selfish. God, we want to enter in. Thank you for your grace and mercy. We want to enter in right now. In this moment, God, this holy moment, we enter in. Some, God, returning to you in this room. Some, deciding to follow you, Jesus, for the first time. Some, saying yes to water baptism. Some have been listening to you and have been hearing the calling and the purpose and are responding. Some are going on a missions trip. God, there's a lot of entering in in this room. We're so grateful that we can taste and see that you are good and we have eyes up today. Our eyes are up, Jesus, to you. And we enter in. We give you praise. Amen.